WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. Today is Thursday, December 14th, recording this early afternoon. My name is Ethan Frank, and as always, we're brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology. We we thank them very much for the continued support of the show. Joined by Jordan Leonard. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, I woke up early this morning to give everyone this, the morning sports updates with John Smith. So I've, I've been alive, ready to record this podcast for some time now. <laughs> also joined by Hudson Ridley. Hudson, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I've also been ready to record this podcast for a while. I thought we were recording an hour earlier, so I've just been sitting at this same chair for an hour, and I can't wait to sit here even longer yeah, it was a nice reminder that I sent you, even though, you know, yeah. Hudson liked my message in the group chat that we were recording at one after we were originally supposed to record at noon, but still got on the zoom at noon. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you could see that there is a fourth person here. Uh, but if you're only listening to the audio, this is a big reveal making his dramatic return to the podcast renowned podcaster, Johnny Goddamn. Johnny? How are you? Well, just like old times, Ethan, I'm doing well. First off, I'd like to apologize to Hudson because technically speaking, it is my fault that we had to push this back an hour later than we had initially wow. scheduled. So I didn't mean to make you sit around, uh, <laughs> but I'm glad I'm I'm glad you guys asked to have me on. Um, you guys are doing some great stuff. And look at that. We're even sponsored now. I, I love to see that. I mean, that was something that uh, it's new, but hey, we keep adding the bells and whistles. Got to love it. Exactly. The Ostrom Avenue podcast is, is up and up. I'll, I'll tell a quick story actually from this morning. I was, I was sitting um, reviewing one of my casts and, and John Smith, who actually voiced our promo that's, that goes on WAR. Which sounds lovely, by the way. I always hear it on my car radio whenever I'm listening so, to games. Speaking of that, he told us, he told me this morning that that is the best promo on the WAER airwaves. So the Ostrom Avenue podcast I is, like is the leading music too. I don't know. I don't know who chose the music bed for underneath it, but that would be Jordan. That'd be Jordan. That would be CeeLo Green, baby. Yeah. There you go. You know, Johnny leaves the Ostrom Avenue podcast, but that does not mean he he was done talking about Syracuse basketball. Him and uh, other uh, W8ER alum, Ian Unsworth, they now host Red is the New Orange, which is a, a podcast on the on the field of 68. Johnny, why don't you tell us a little bit about your show? Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, me and Ian, two washed up WAR alums, as we like to call ourselves, uh, doing very similar things to what to what you guys are doing. We're a part of the Field of 68 
uh, podcast network. So Jeff Goodman, Rob Doster, they have anything and everything that you could possibly want from a college basketball standpoint. They're live pretty much every night with their After Dark podcast. Uh, John Fanta is a name that, of course, so many college basketball fans are familiar with. He is a regular contributor as well. But basically what the Field of 68 does is they have all their own kind of main channel stuff that those guys do. And then they also sort of outsource um, individual podcasts for each school or, you know, particularly the the larger programs. And, you know, me and Ian uh, are, you know, doing that this year and, you know, providing, you know, uh, Central New York Syracuse fans with everything they could possibly need to know about this uh 2023-2024 men's basketball team, which, as you guys know, has been a very interesting one, to say the least. And I am very curious to see what the uh, what the rest of the season has in store here. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about about what's going on with the team under under Adrian Autry in his first season as head coach. Uh, we've gotten into uh, last week. I think we got into our most spirited debate. And, you know, since we got four people here, I thought it'd be perfect just to honestly just see where this conversation goes, because I'm sure we could take this a, a lot of different directions. But, Johnny, just to, to start things off, you know, not being you're not in Syracuse as much as, as you have been over the past four years. So watching from afar, what are you what are your big takeaways surrounding this team? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I also I call the games up at Cornell uh, for the Big Red this winter, and they obviously played Syracuse uh, a couple weeks ago. And I thought that game was really going to be a good litmus test as far as what this orange team can bring to the table, because, you know, you look up and down the schedule and I think you guys would agree with me and that, you know, they have beat Syracuse. Now we're talking about has beaten the teams that they have kind of supposed to supposed to be supposed to take care of. And they have struggled and lost to the teams that they were supposed to lose to. Um, And I thought Cornell similar to how kind of we've got Oregon coming up this weekend was the first one where you really weren't sure it was an opponent that at least skill level wise and what they kind of bring to the table on a day in day out basis was pretty comparable. Um, and Ethan, I know you were there firsthand on the call for that Cornell game. And, and that was the game for me that was really impressive, um, you know, to be able to kind of neutralize that high flying attack that Cornell likes to play and almost sort of beat them at their own game. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of Syracuse fans might hear Cornell and think, oh, yeah, you know, Ivy League, that should be an easy win. It's a good Cornell team. You know, I think the final score, it beat them by what, like 11, but it was close, right? Five or six with, with, yeah. you know, it was three a, it was a, three, it was a three point, it was a three point game, uh, in the final stages. I mean, you know, the key number to me from that game, you mentioned the pace and, and Hudson, you were there as well as holding Cornell to only nine of 33 from, from three was, was really important. And, you know, if rebounding is the most important issue that Adrian Autry has been focusing on, I think three point defense would be second. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I think for me, that game kind of put it all together in that, okay, this team can go out there and and beat a quality opponent, even on a night where maybe not everything is working. Um, And, you know, I think refreshing is a word that comes to mind, particularly on the defensive end, you know, knowing that, okay, they can rely on this man-to-man defense while also sprinkling in the zone. We saw a little bit of it against Georgetown, right? Various, you know, coming out of it with various inbound plays and, you know, kind of just sprinkling it in here and there when they, when a situation calls for it, but we'll see. I mean, Judah Mintz is a superstar. 
obviously no more Joe, more no, no more Jesse. That leaves some serious holes that I'm sure, as you guys have documented throughout the course of the year, have yet to really be filled from a scoring standpoint on a consistent basis. Um, but, you know, it comes with time, right? Rome wasn't built overnight. Not to say this team is going to be Rome come March. But I, I like what I like the foundation that they've sort of laid out here. And, you know, I think come ACC play, you know, you take your chances with, you know, some of the big boys. No. And and you look at, at what we've seen, you know, you mentioned the defense being being pretty solid, you know, over the past few years, the def- the, the zone didn't you know work a, a lot of times based on personnel based on uh, opponent. And right now on, on Ken Palm, my, you know, my, my metric of choice, Syracuse's uh, defense ranks 34 spots higher than its offense right now. 83rd ranked in defensive efficiency, 117th ranked offense for Syracuse to be 97th overall. Jordan, based on what, you know, Johnny just said, do, do you agree with, with, with kind of where he was going? Yeah, I think uh, so far this season, like just the overall observations is they've taken care of business and they haven't lost a game where you look at it as they should have won. That's going to really kill a NCAA tournament resume. They haven't won a game that you necessarily think the other team should have won. Virginia would have been that game, that first game, like other than Gonzaga and Tennessee in that Maui Invitational neutral court that you know Syracuse can go out and get that statement win on the road. But even the, like you look at this Oregon game coming up, I think this is really important, especially because the last game in, in non-conference play is Niagara, another one of those games that you should win. Oregon, 39, you like the Ken Palm, 39 overall on Ken Palm. And in technically, they're 52 in the net. So on a neutral floor, it'd be just into the quad two territory. So to get a quad two win before the end of non-conference play, where the non-con is pretty much just, you know, mostly a soft schedule, except for those two games against Tennessee and Gonzaga, no real way to make a statement just to say that you can, you know, handle your business when you need to. So I think this Oregon game is the most important game of the non-con coming up for Syracuse, where they can show whether or not, like where their ceiling is going to be come years end years and end no there's no doubt about that and the committee definitely emphasizes non-conference wins uh and you know adrian autry has said multiple times i feel like i mentioned this every week that he you know did not make a schedule where his team would be playing in the maui invitational and then would be going to georgetown and then a week later going and playing oregon on uh, on a neutral site for a first year head coach probably would have taken it a little bit easier like uh you know next year where instead of going to the maui invitational over thanksgiving week syracuse is going back to the barclays center to play i, I don't think it's the empire classic this time i think it's a, it's a different pre or early season tournament right jordan uh, i don't know the exact name but i'll look it up right now uh, it, I, I, it's, it's something it, at the barclays it's something at the barclays center mm-hmm. regardless and we know syracuse uh, it played at the Barclays Center last year, went one and one, two very exciting games in overtime. Hudson, when you look at this Oregon game, what are you looking at? You know, I think it's kind of the outcome in my head is, you know, if Syracuse wins, wow, that's awesome. But also if they lose, it's not backbreaking. Yeah, I, I don't think it's the end of the world. And like you said, it's important to get those big out-of-conference wins before the committee makes their decision. And obviously we have a long time before that happens. But you have to get those big out-of-conference wins. If they don't, it's still kind of one of those games where you look at it and you take pieces away from it rather than just focusing on, okay, Syracuse lost this game. What I'm interested to see is there have been some pretty serious injuries to Oregon in terms of their big man depth, especially starting center out, backup center out. Now, how does 
I don't want to say Naheem McLeod step up because we've said that week after week and we really haven't seen it. I'm interested to see how him and Malik Brown then mesh against these centers that really don't have experience against bigger lineups like Syracuse. I mean, if Naheem McLeod not necessarily can figure it out in this game, but they have a good back and forth between, okay, we're playing Malik this many minutes, we're playing Naheem this many minutes. That's what you have to figure out before you get to ACC play, because it starts December 30th. This is the second to last matchup and the real last true test before you get there. I'm not going to overlook Niagara here, but, you know, you kind of can in a certain way. So (laughs) you you can, you can. So if If you don't beat Niagara, I mean, I mean, yeah, then we got problems. problems. Yeah. If you don't beat Niagara, you have problems. Yes. But also what you can take away from this Oregon game, even if it is a loss is okay. What are the rotations looking like? We're trying to kind of solidify the rotations in our mind here. And Syracuse fans trying to figure out how this team is going to look down the stretch and taking pieces out of this game. I'm very interested to see what the big men look like in this game specifically. So you you mentioned rotations there. I think that's that's a good segue is, you know, Johnny, the the three of us got in a pretty heated argument last week when (laughs) when it came to shooting uh, and how the, you know, you know, someone like JJ Starling should be shooting it from be- behind the arc, uh, to which then he, you know, stuffed it in Jordan and Hudson's face no. and, went, and went three okay. for three last D- week. Okay. Ethan it was more than that. the argument. Check the videotape. The, yeah. the argument was based on whether or not. So be- this was before the Georgetown games, so before okay. JJ went three of three from beyond the arc. If he should be continuing to shoot six or like six plus six ish threes per game, and when he's not making them and they're not even coming close, like who should be taking the most threes on the team? And like a Judah Mintz, he's not like a high volume three point shooter. Should right. he be taking five to six threes? Like that was the conversation. Yeah. Okay, that, okay. That, sure. That provides mm-hmm. better context. And my argument was I think you should keep shooting because even if you're missing it still presents the threat that you are not afraid to shoot the ball. And then that helps the spacing on the floor. We can get into that a little bit later, but I want to go back to rotations because you know, it felt like Autry was, you know, playing around for the majority of, you know, the beginning part of the season, even as we got into Maui and then LSU, Virginia and Cornell leading up to Georgetown have kind of solidified that. I think there's a pretty clear top seven and then, you know, I, I would I think Kyle Cuff's minutes are, are are his his playing time is numbered at this point uh, because I think it is clearly much more effective if you have Quadir Copeland as the second guard on the floor rather than him despite uh, Cuff's ability to to shoot or the threat of him him shooting the ball. Where do you stand on how Autry has has managed his minutes? And obviously we had a Munir Hema sighting against Georgetown, <laughs> we did, which was very we unexpected. Munir Hema, just a great energy guy. Um, but no, it, it's a great question, and, and I think I go back to something that I I want to be, I want to say it was after the Colgate game. It was one of the early season games where Autry said in a press conference, "Look, the way we're going to try to build this is we're going to try to play solid four minute stretches, four minute stretches at a time." And I thought that was a really unique way of kind of framing it. And I think he sort of put his money where his mouth is and kind of followed that model. Um, at, at least initially, Ethan, and I know you mentioned, obviously, now that rotation is a little bit more solidified. 
But I think this is an orange team just with the way they play. You know, they clearly like to be up tempo. They let, they're not opposed to getting into a track meet with you. Obviously, Judah Mintz is going to do everything he can to get downhill and get to the free throw line, get it out in transition. So I, I really appreciated that point from Autry and that, okay, you can sort of take things step by step. Right. And I think this team has sort of followed that model, even now, as we've seen the rotation get a little bit more solidified and that, OK, you don't have to necessarily, you know, you, you can go on these mini runs and have these sort of mini spurts. Even, you know, Hudson, you brought up a guy like McLeod, even if it's only 90 seconds of Naheem McLeod at a time. Right. Because anything more than that, he's probably going to get gassed against these faster teams. It can be a jumbled bag of rotations. Like, that's okay. I don't think this team has to have it all figured out right now in terms of, okay, X player should be playing Y minutes every single night. Um, I, I think you go more game to game with it and you sort of tier that game plan towards the opponent you're going up against. I think that's what Red Autry has done so far. And I see no reason why he'll shy away from that moving forward. And that's another reason why I'm really interested to see how Oregon plays out, because this will be now the third team in a row when you talk about Cornell, Georgetown, Oregon. The emphasis is on guard play. The emphasis is on being fast and playing up-tempo. Does bear mentioning, too, I know you mentioned earlier, Hudson, that Oregon down their big man. They're also down their leading scorer, a guy by the name of Infali Dante, who got hurt after one game and was supposed to be kind of the guy for the Ducks this year. They don't have the guy right now. Like they are sort of, you know, sort of a hodgepodge of, of different characters that, you know, give you different things on a night in, night out basis. So I'm interested, very long winded answer to your question, Ethan, but all that to say that, yeah, I'm okay with the rotations with how they're sort of set up right now. And I see no reason why they won't continue to sort of be a little bit all over the place moving forward, but in a good way, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, that does make sense. I think it's interesting. I got the minutes distribution up in front of me. Uh, and it, I guess it was kind of surprising to see Judah Mintz only play plays less than 31 minutes a game. But then you think about it more like he's been in foul trouble a lot. And I, I think that's something Adrian Autry and, and the coaches are getting on him. Like you can't get in foul trouble as we get later into the season. Like we can't like against uh, Cornell. We can't have you sitting on the bench for eight minutes in the second half. But hey, uh, Kyle Cuff gave you some all right defensive minutes. He, he did. That uh, game. And Kyle Cuff, uh, I would argue, I don't know who I was talking with this about. Uh, he might have the best bounce on the team. Watching that guy in pregame warmups, he can get up. Really? really being what? Six, six, one, six, two, probably. If uh, that, if yeah. that. Kyle Cuff can, can get up. He's got can some Joe serious, measurement right he's there. got some serious <laughs> bunnies. Um, but like you look at this minutes, JJ's averaging the most minutes on the team. He averages nearly 35 minutes a game. Then you have mints. Justin Taylor is third. And I'm sure that's because, you know, I, I talked about this with, we, we talked about this with Mike waters, uh, a couple of weeks ago that, this guy's six foot six and being asked to play power forward at the moment and, and a rebound. <laughs> He's the team's leading rebounder at 6.2 rebounds a game. Um, and then you got him and Chris bell are right around that 28, 29 minutes a game mark, which means your other, you know, wing players, uh, someone like a Benny Williams, who's only played in six out of 10 games is only averaging 13 minutes a game. And with the way bell and Taylor have played this year, I think that's fair. Yeah. 
I mean, I, th- I personally, I think Benny should be getting just more minutes against bigger teams. Obviously, we're going to see that a little bit more in, in the conference play section of the schedule because when you play a team like Cornell or Colgate, like they're not going to have bigger forwards. Like you just mentioned, Justin Taylor at 6'6", who's basically a guard playing power forward, is going to be kind of ridiculous when you get to conference play, and he's going to have to box out guys that are 6'9 at, at, at a, a power forward. So I think that'll start to even out a little bit when we get to conference play. But that's the biggest thing about this team, in my opinion, is the versatility. Depending on the matchup, they can throw different lineups out there. If you go against a Duke and they're going to play a big four, you like a big number four, you can play a Benny Williams a little bit more minutes to get you some size. You can play Naheem at the five and Malik at the four. Like You, you can mix and match depending on the matchup, whether they play fast, play slow. Um, but going back to your Judah Mins point, he has been in foul trouble, but I, I don't want him to take away his defensive effort because when you can have a, a guard that plays defense like that, I mean, he's second on the team in steals with 20. And obviously you don't want him taking stupid fouls. Like I think a couple times when he's t- tried to take charges in transition, that's just not a smart foul because a lot of times now you won't get that call on a charge because you have to be firmly set before the guy Which um, is makes good. contact it is with you. It is good they changed yeah. that rule. No, it is, yeah. it is yeah. a good thing that they've done that. It's good, but it makes it harder for the ref to call a charge. So you shouldn't necessarily be trying to take a charge in transition. So I think if he cuts down on those you know, those fouls in transition, that'll help. But, I mean, he's also been really good on the defensive end. I mean, 20 steals in the first 10 games, two steals per game. For a guy that gives you so much on offense already, that's going to make your team exponentially better overall. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it just kind of, though, Jordan, feel like there's a little bit of a missing piece though because when you talk yeah, about shooting okay Justin Ted well it's I don't even think it's just shooting it's shooting and it's rebounding to an extent I mean we haven't seen Syracuse up against the true bigger teams in the ACC obviously we've seen them against Tennessee and Gonzaga and that gives you a little bit of a, a better benchmark but you can't have Malik Brown down the stretch at six foot eight 222 pl- pounds playing the five if he's playing the four that's fine. I'd like to see a little bit more muscle on him, but you know, I'd like to see a little bit more muscle on me. That's fine. You can't have that everywhere. I, you can't have him playing the five consistently against Cornell, 12 rebounds. That's great. Cornell's a bit undersized. I think their tallest player was six foot nine that regularly plays Malik Brown, seven offensive boards, five defensive boards. I don't want to harken it back again to, to big man play, but that is, that does feel like a big key in that situation where, okay, you don't have, an ACC caliber guy at the five, a seven footer who can consistently get rebounds and who can consistently attack yeah. the rim and provide a threat on both sides. It, it it's it's a coupling with and that's obviously and that, you mentioned yeah either. yeah no no it's it and that your point about rebounding there and and big guys and Johnny I'm sure you you you've seen this is going back to what you're saying about Benny Jordan is Benny Williams may be six nine but he plays like he's six four or he thinks he's six four and that's the same thing he'll give size on the floor I don't I don't like it's like it's like it's like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's like Naheem McLeod it's like Naheem McLeod when he's on the floor you can't take away the fact that he's seven four but okay, he takes away what? the and fact that he's seven four yeah, because he, he when the ball comes off he goes ah, I don't know where it's going and guess what guess who's averaging this more rebounds great. a game I should than have Naheem McLeod guess who's <laughs> averaging more rebounds a game than Naheem McLeod JJ Starling who's six okay Naheem McLeod plays a third him. of the minutes than JJ Starling does and for okay? a reason if he could if he could rebound well he would be playing more minutes Jordan all right all right. Johnny, you're, 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 as as we're getting a little out of hand here, bring us back to sanity. Yeah, what I'll say is this: 
you can't fit a square peg into a round hole, right? So Hudson, your point's well taken about, okay, is Malik Brown going to give you ACC big man rebounding minutes? No, of course he's not. He doesn't have the size to, but if if him being out there at the five gives you the best five on the floor for a particular stretch, you have to embrace that. That's just the makeup of what this team is. Couple of things here. From a Benny standpoint, I've gotten to the point where Benny Williams for me is a net zero. He doesn't add anything, but he also doesn't take away anything. And until he proves that he can add something of tangible positive value, you have to move forward yes. assuming so he is. I'll, a net I'll zero. interrupt, I'll interrupt you on this. I posed this what I think I, I don't know if it was on the show, off air, whatever. I posed this to them. I said, you can go through Syracuse's roster and be like, each and every player, what is something they do really well? If I say to you, what does Benny Williams do really well? What are his strengths? Like I, like, I don't, don't have a clear cut answer for you. Which not, is nothing, nothing on offense. Nothing on offense. That's for ex- sure. Ex- He's exactly. not a vibe like, guy. Like you, you can go you can you can go down through the He's roster. No what, is, what is Judah what does Judah Mintz do really well? He gets to the basket, he draws fouls, he playmakes. What does Chris Bell do really well? Shoot. Two. What does JJ Starling do really well? Playmaker. What does Justin Taylor do really well? For his size, rebound, rebound. and he can shoot. What right. does Malik Brown do really well? Defense. Energy. Yeah. Like everyone has these tangible what does Quadir Cope? Malik do? Brown actually, Everything. by the way, like, yeah, leads the team yeah. with steals. By the yeah, way, which, Malik Brown leads really the team impressive. with steals as a so, center. Sorry to and, interrupt you, Johnny, but that I think that just goes back to the Benny point. No, it totally does. And I, I think, too, you know, I, I feel like I've heard this a couple times now where with this team, there, there's a desire to have like, you know, similar to the Nahima Cloud point with, with the rebounding, but also from the shooting, like, OK, you need two shooters on the court at all times. I don't I don't necessarily think that's true. Right. Like, I think you can roll out a five where maybe Chris Bell is your only real shooter out there. And that's okay because, again, that's just what the makeup of this team is. Um, Is the lack of a number two, number three primary score going to hurt them down the home stretch? Probably. Is the lack of a real big man who can go toe to toe with the Armando Baycots of the world going to hurt them down the stretch? Probably. But again, that doesn't mean you shy away from who you are. Um, and the fact that this team is not a great shooting team and also isn't a great interior size team are two very odd things, right? Usually it is one or the other. Or the other. The fact that they are lacking both is concerning, but they've almost found a way to offset those concerns because they have a superstar in Judamitz and because they can go three, four deep off the bench and still get quality minutes with different groups on the floor at different times. It's a question of, is that sustainable? So the, on the, on the shooting aspect of it, I think they can, they can block that. They can make like hide that with the type of lineups that they run out. There was one lineup though against Georgetown where Judah was off the floor in foul trouble. And, you know, obviously JJ hit three threes and was, was hot against Georgetown. He hadn't shown it until then, but he had, it was a lineup with like JJ, Chris Bell, Quadir, Malik, and I don't even know who the fourth, but like Justin Taylor, who wasn't shooting the ball really well either. Like you have to be selective with your lineups on who you put on the floor, because when Judah's off the floor and you take that, that driving ability, that playmaking ability out of there, you need to have guys that can still space the floor to allow JJ more room to work it is kind of how you can hide the shooting aspect of it. I think the problem with that though, is, is let's say, if you take Judah out and let's say you put Kyle Cuff in for him and it's JJ Cuff, Cuff I, I know it, I'm I'm getting to where I'm going to go here. You have the two of them 
and then you have two other shooters, let's say Bell and Taylor, along with a big man. The problem with that, though, is that puts so much pressure on JJ because he is the only primary creator. Yet Bell, Taylor, Cuff, they could secondary create, get to the basket, but it's going to take initiation from JJ, and that's why I think it's more important, rather than having Cuff on the floor to space the floor, you need Copeland on the floor more to be another playmaker, a guy that can ease the burden off of Starling because he's being asked to do so much. He's played almost 88% of Syracuse's minutes this year uh, through 10 games. That is a lot of minutes. And if Judah's off the floor, it cannot be only him being the only playmaker on the floor. Yeah. If it's um, Cuff Bell and Taylor on the floor at any given moment, I mean, we saw it sometimes in the Cornell game when it was just Bell and Taylor, when both or in all three of Copeland, Starling and Mintz, we're in foul trouble and you're trying to figure out what guard rotation you play there. Playmaking felt scared. They didn't really know what to do. They need a guy to be on the floor to take charge because they're just kind of passing around at the top of the key and you get it. Hey, you get it. That can't go on. And Cuff is not going to be that guy, like Ethan said, that's going to bring that to you. Starling, this is kind of the role he is settling into a little bit more. We've realized through this first stretch of games, He's not a three-point shooter. I don't care that he went three for three against Georgetown. That's one game. We realize he's not going to be a consistent shooter. If you can have him out there consistently playmaking, him, Copeland, Judah, that's what you need. Kyle Cuff seems like a great guy. He's a solid shooter. But that's not a guy you can rely on to be out there with other shooters on the floor and just say, okay, we're not a great shooting team. We're just going to chuck up shots here. It's not a recipe for success. I think the interesting thing about Kyle Cuff is, and I'll I'll throw this to you, Johnny, is I don't think Kyle Cuff would be playing if Chance Westry didn't get hurt in October. Couldn't agree uh, more. At, yeah. So I, I think because Kyle Cuff, what, he redshirted and then was injured all. So like this is a guy that hadn't played competitive basketball since high school, and he's kind of just being yeah. thro- thrown into the fire here at Syracuse. And right now he's the, I would say, I mean, based on minutes, based on rotations, he is the eighth man at best. Uh, If Benny Williams is playing, you know, against Cornell, first question for Adrian Autry in the press conference after Benny Williams didn't play, why didn't he play? He said, I made the lineup decisions based on what I thought would be best for the team to win. How much do we believe of that? I'm not sure, but I mean, based on what Autry said, it's a DNP coach's decision. Uh, And that, you know, he just didn't think that would be best to, to help the team win. Johnny, do you think it is important for, I guess, I, I don't know how much we'll see Munir Hima, and it seems like Nahima clouded nursing a bit of a foot injury at the moment, and Hima, I, I believe, told Donna Detota this week after the game that he had been dealing with a back injury, and that's why he, he hadn't played. He's only played in two games this year, and one of them, he wasn't registered in the book, and Syracuse got a technical foul for it uh, out in Hawaii. When you look at this rotation, kind of circling back to this, how many guys do you think Autry should be playing right now? Because he has this top seven, and then you have Hema, Williams, Cuff, and if Westry were ever to come back, that's up to 11 possible guys he could play. Can I take the cop-out answer? That he should only be playing seven, or that you don't know? Well, I was going to say he should only be playing seven unless the opponent you're going up against calls for more. Um, but again, like, I don't know, because then you get into the whole conversation of, okay, let's say they only play the seven, right. And it's an off night for whoever fill in the blank, JJ Taylor bell has one of his 
cold nights. Right. Clearly, we know all about the peaks right. and valleys. Wadier has three turnovers in five minutes or something. Right. Like something's off. Right. Then we get into the conversation that almost ran Jim Beheim out of town over the course of the past few years of, okay, well, you know, you're you're sticking to your guns too much, right? There's got to be more of a willingness to try these new things. So I respect the fact that Red Autry is really trying to mix and match. The, the answer has to be seven, though. I mean, I don't think anyone else has really proven that. And again, I'll preface it with consistent minutes. You want to give Kyle Cuff four to five minutes off the bench down, you know, early stages, second half. If somebody's in foul trouble, be my guest. You want to get Munir in there because it's opponent. It's an opponent where you really need size and you feel like having Malik at the five is just going to screw you over beyond belief. Go for it. You want to try to get Benny going and give him 15 minute, 15 to 20 minutes one night just to kind of see what happens and get him going in the right direction? Sure, I think that's the only way he salvages his season at this point. But at the end of the day, none of those guys I just mentioned have their track record in their favor, and there's a reason for that. So until somebody kind of steps up and pleasantly surprises me, um, I think you keep it to the seven. Yeah, Do you agree I, with I that, would Jordan? totally agree. Yeah, I, I would totally agree because when you have the guys on the floor, especially in games like in Oregon where it's not going to be a, a cakewalk, like you, you're physically and athletically better than these teams, and that's going to be throughout conference play too. But you need to have guys that are going to contribute on the floor. As much as I like Benny, on the offense, I mean, it, it he's four people are running the offense, and then there's Benny who's just like there kind of like when he gets the ball, he looks to make a move himself, and then he either passes away or takes a shot. Like we need to have five guys on the floor that are committed to playing that SU basketball the way that Adrian Autry wants it. Not saying Kyle Cuff doesn't do that. So like if Kyle Cuff needs a couple minutes, you know, between the eight-minute mark and the four-minute mark, or you hit like, say, the 530 mark and you get a dead ball, you get Judah out for a minute 30 before the media timeout. But like those type of timing stuff, you can get guys in and out. I, my interesting thing is how long Naheem McLeod, I know he's dealing with a foot injury, but how long you let Naheem McLeod start? Because we haven't seen a di- we haven't seen a different iteration of the starting lineup yet. And whether or not, I mean, it's objectively Malik Brown brings more to the floor on both sides of the ball. Maybe not. I guess you can say both sides of the ball because of his ability to guard other guys than just the center. Is Malik Brown have a chance at earning a starting spot at some point in the next couple of weeks? I think so it's I, more I, just to keep teams yeah. on their toes. Right. Right. I think, I think it's more yeah. about Malik being the ace up the sleeve of, okay, oh, this guy doesn't even start for them. He comes in. What does he bring off the bench? I don't buy too much. I, I know obviously the starting five conversation is one that is 100% worthy of having because it matters. Um, but you know, I, I'd be way more pressed with who's the five on the court closing games rather than starting. Absolutely. Uh, what named. I was, what I was about to say, what, like, I don't think I, it doesn't matter who's, who's start because I think if this team was getting off to really slow starts and was going down by like six to eight points in the first five minutes of games, I think then it would be a conversation, but I, I don't think that that's not something that's happened where this team is going down early in games and needs to put Malik Brown in the game to, you know, get it even by halftime or something. So unless that were to happen, then you would change the starting lineup. I don't think unless it's injury related, there's any reason not to get Naheem McLeod on the floor. And also it's quite obvious that at least over the past handful of games, Usually their first or second possession on offense down the floor. They're yeah. trying to get Naheem McLeod to post up and get him a layup to get him going and or or a hook shot or whatever, like some short shot in the paint. Because if he makes it, then that gives him so much confidence to play aggressively and confidently. 
I will say this though, as much as it doesn't matter and, and, you know, kind of following up on your point there, Ethan, I will say we talk about Oregon, right. And how this team has no size and they're really predicated on guard play. I could see a world where maybe if this is not Naheem McLeod's one of his stronger games, again, preface it with doesn't really matter a ton, but Jordan, I don't think you're crazy for bringing that up. Like, could I see a world where come Niagara next week, Naheem McLeod is not starting? Absolutely. Not to say it means a ton, but I could see it as a possibility. Yeah. Going back to your point, Ethan, when you said like they don't get down early in games and it's not really Naheem McLeod's fault, get him the ball early, try to get him going. Autry's talked about that early in the season. He talked about, well, you know, we just need to get him going. He he said that throughout. We just got to get him going. At this point, I don't think he's going to start going because there's just a little bit of a mental block there. I remember before the Cornell game, Ethan, we talked about McLeod, and you were like, well, you know, they got him out there to win the tip. He didn't win the tip. He went up against a guy that was five, quick math, set, six, something like that, five, six, seven inches shorter than him, probably six. I don't know. He lost. He lost the opening tip. It's that kind of aggressiveness that's missing from his game, and that's something that's really hard to teach. Now, as it really hurt this team in the starting lineup against game, in games that they're supposed to win? No, it hasn't. But when you have that debate almost of, okay, well, it's not hurting them to have Naheem McLeod out there starting the game, why don't we just take a look at what Malik Brown would look like starting the game? Because maybe it puts it on a completely different trajectory where it's like, okay, they're not losing these games early on. That's fine. Maybe they'll start winning with Malik Brown in there. That's what I'd want to see a little bit more of is you mentioned Autry is not sticking to his guns as much as Jim Beheim did. I think he needs to go even further and say, hey, even though the starting lineup doesn't matter as much, let's just throw Malik Brown out there for a start against Oregon. See how he does. If it's not the right move, because that's a good test of like what a mid-tier ACC team would look like. If it's not the right move, okay, now we know. But before we get to conference play, let's straighten some of those things out. Let's play around a little bit more with the rotation. Yeah, and and we'll see what happens against Oregon. Uh, I got another analytics site here up that I want to throw some numbers in. You guys know BartTorvik.com? Yep. So I got the Syracuse Bart Torvik page pulled up here. I, I want to get into this schedule upcoming a, a little bit here as we, we I think we start to wind things down. Um, but I will say for player stats, the Syracuse's top two players in terms of you know efficiency rating, Judah Mintz a clear number one and Malik Brown a clear number two, which which I, I think t- tells tells a pretty clear story um, in terms of, of your argument there, Hudson, in, in potentially getting him in the starting lineup. Look at this schedule on, on Bart Torvik. Syracuse is only projected, according to, to his calculations, to win two games over the next month. And that would be Niagara and at home against Niagara a week from today. Uh, that would be next Thursday. And then at home on January 10th against Boston College. That'd be losses to Oregon, a projected six-point loss. Very close margin with that Pittsburgh game at home. Pittsburgh's near 50 in those rankings. So that'll be projected to be a very close game at Duke. Big-time loss at North Carolina. Big-time loss at Pittsburgh has an eight-point loss. And hosting Miami, another close potential game. But Miami, this is a team that was ranked. This is a team that went to the Final Four last year. So that'd be two wins 
in an eight game span, potentially, if if this all came to fruition. And then for the whole season projected, he's got Syracuse finishing 16 and 15, 8 and 12 in the conference. They're already 0 and 1. So that'd be an 8 and 11 finish the rest of the way. Where I, I'll start with you, Johnny. Where do you fall on those numbers? I know Jordan and I. Uh, we talked about it on the basketball preview show on WAR on sports night. I think it was, what was the over under 19 and a half? It was something, it was close to 20. Total I want to say, yeah, close to 20 total wins. This right now projected for 16. Where, where do you, where do you see this team right now? I think it starts with Oregon. I think if you can sort of set this tone with a win and, and move into this stretch in the right direction, that's going to do you a lot of favors. Oh, I also think they can beat Pitt twice. Um, I don't buy into that whole it's hard to beat a team twice narrative. I think if you're better than them, you're better than them. And Pitt's a solid team. They got a veteran group led by Blake Hinson, who obviously did his thing there last year and now is kind of the man this year. They've got the Diaz-Graham twins who are still kicking and provide some serious length. Uh, But I think Syracuse is a better team than Pitt. Duke and Carolina, you chalk those up. Boston College should be wins. I think two's a little low. And that's why I really go back to Oregon, Ethan. I think if you, again, not to beat a dead horse here, but it's a tough stretch. I won't deny it. If you can start it out on the right foot, turn one win into two, because chances are you have your way with Niagara. Then next thing you know, you turn two into three. If you take down Pitt right after that at home in late December, then you've built up some wiggle room for yourself, where even if you go on the road and get the doors blown off by the Blue Devils, you still know you got a home game looming large with Boston College. You'll see a Pitt team shortly thereafter that you just had your way with. So we'll see. I mean, we all, you guys don't need me to tell you how scary of a thing momentum could be. Um, but, you know, this is really that part in the schedule where they can use it to their benefit if they get things to shake their way. Yeah, momentum, especially coming after this winter break of essence where they have a, a week plus off, they're going to play two games a week pretty much for the rest of the schedule. So when you have momentum and you're playing multiple games a week, that can be deadly. I, I mean, th- th- to say that Pitt is going to come and beat Syracuse twice, especially once at home, is I think just outrageous because, I mean, Pitt won last year at, at Syracuse because they made like 16 three-pointers and against a zone. And now that Syracuse is playing, man, I would assume it's going to be probably cut in half uh, you know, maybe a little bit less than half or whatever. But I think Syracuse is like middle of the pack in the ACC. So, I mean, you could split against Pitt. BC's all right. I mean, you can at least get one, maybe two against BC. Florida State's not that good this year. Wake Forest is all right. Louisville's not that good. Didn't Wake Notre Forest Dame's lose to LSU? Good. Didn't Wake Forest lose to LSU? Yes, they did. They did. So- Right. Like, well, they beat Rutgers. That's why I said they're all right. Um, so, <laughs> right. Like you look like you look at this. We went through the schedule beforehand. You're only playing those top, I guess, maybe, I guess, you know, I don't and Miami's thought, at home. Right. We didn't think Clemson would be as good as they've been, you know, still undefeated a top 15 team in the country at this point. That's the team you're playing. You play Clemson and North Carolina twice, but you only have Virginia Duke Miami once. And and that is a, a a huge bonus for Syracuse because that means you'll be playing the meat of the conference a good amount. You're playing NC State twice. You're playing Louisville twice. And I mean, we don't even need to get into Louisville. Louisville might be the worst one run program in in the country, worst run power six conference program in in the country at the moment. But like like you look at these these projected numbers. I was going like your the the current projection on this home pit game that we were talking about is pit favored by point three. So like that flips, that's a win. Yeah. Um, the Miami game, it's Miami by Whoa. a point and a half. Like also, the- if you look at that Duke road game, I mean, Georgia Tech went to Duke and won. It's not like Duke is blowing the doors off of it. I'm not saying Syracuse is going to win, 
But I'm just saying Duke is not invincible this year either. No. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that Syracuse can just run up in Duke because also Georgia Tech, you know, Syracuse doesn't have the experience of some of these other teams that can get over the top. I, I think Johnny's right in a way where, okay, Oregon is kind of the hinge where you can go on two paths here. I think Oregon makes a little bit of a difference, but honestly, I don't really see a whole lot of these games flipping. At home, against Pitt, I feel like that's a win. It, it really also, again, hinges on the Oregon game, but I feel like Jordan made a good point. They made 16 threes. What was it, 16 against Syracuse last year? Something it was like that. It was a Whatever. crazy it was a lot of it was an unconscious number of three players. Yeah, <laughs> again, against that 2-3 zone, you switch it to man-to-man, that makes a difference. But if you look at some of these other games, Duke, and let's not get ahead of ourselves, Jordan. I think no, I didn't say they were gonna win. I said they were invincible. The Jordan says Syracuse will win at Cameron Indoor. Jordan Leonard, yeah, declares yeah, Jordan, Syracuse stamp that. Go ahead, stamp the, that. We'll put that on. Stan, a quote. Students that'll are not on tit- campus either. That'll students be the title of the, either. That'll be the title of hey, the podcast. Here's my question for you guys if I were to ask you two months ago, what's more likely, Joe Girard and Clemson are going to be undefeated, or Tommy DeVito is going to have a couple of NFL wins <laughs> under his belt? What would you say? I would probably say the, the the former, not the latter. I don't think anybody saw this coming with the Tommy Cutlets. That is I crazy. think he was benched for Garrett Schrader. What a time. <laughs> that's crazy. When you, that's yeah, cool. when you think if you can't have a quarterback that throws the football and you see what uh, Tommy DeVito is yeah, doing, that's you know, crazy. leaves a I, hole in you. So, so I will. I would be remiss if, I, you know, we, we talked about him very briefly, but I have to talk about Quadier Copeland once yep, per show because that, that is oh. my guy. Jordan, you were there at the game. Tell us about the dunk. <laughs> Tell us about it. I, I will say a couple times, because I was there talk reporting the game and I was tweeting on the account, a couple times for at least Georgetown, I was like looking down at my screen and I'd be tweeting and they'd hit a three and i just completely miss it. Thank God I did not miss this good here Copeland dunk. It was ferocious. It was like a he like did the... The quick two jog steps launched himself to like hopefully get the rebound and then just yammed it home. Ben Spector was sitting next to me on the call and it was one of those bench moments where I was like, oh my God, I almost pulled Ben during his call back <laughs> after Quadier finished I was, it. I was, I was on the couch at home and I was like leaning forward in my, because it, it was, pre- they were pretty much had won the game by that point. Um, and I, I was leaning forward on the couch and he did that. And I just snapped back in my chair, smacked the couch and just start like evil laughing to myself. <laughs> my first, I, my first instinct wasn't even to tweet that it was to text Ethan on Quadir. Yeah, I, I was immediately, I was so excited. my mind went straight to Ethan, a little inside baseball. These guys know when you're on a WAR sports desk, you're not supposed to get too loud. I have never heard. That group of about 20 people that day gets so loud. People were running around screaming. Everyone lost their minds at how big of a I, dunk that was. I will I will say, if you go on YouTube, not only should you check out the Ostrom Avenue Podcast YouTube account, but the official Syracuse, Syracuse Athletics basketball page released an extended cut of the game that's about five that minutes awesome. long. I watched it about 15 minutes before we got on uh, on this, this show. It is awesome. Like hearing Adrian Autry's passion for wanting to beat Georgetown was so, so awesome. Um, if you're a Syracuse fan, I, I highly recommend going to check it out. One thing I will say before I let you jump in, Johnny, is I was on the phone with someone a little earlier who was also at the game. He said it was the third time in his entire life 
that oh. he jumped out of his chair at at a play he watched in in a, in a venue. Wow. Third Johnny time ever know, in his life. Johnny, want to know who who that was? Yeah, I was gonna say who. Matt Bonaparte. It was Bonaparte. Oh, okay, there we go. I had a feeling. That was my first guess. But no, I mean, you think about the past couple of games, there have been Syracuse, for better or worse, whether they were on the good end or the bad end of it, there have been some ferocious dunks. I mean, the Judah one after Thanksgiving from a couple weeks ago. Isaiah Gray from oh, Cornell yeah. had oh, one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, whether it's Syracuse or Syracuse's opponent, there's been Sports Center top 10-esque plays left and right, it feels like. No, it's yeah. been a... It's been exciting to say the least. Uh, win or win or loss for the Orange, uh, or dunk or get dunked on for 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 SU. All right, uh, closing things up here on the show, Johnny. Got it. We got to go down memory lane here. You're you, you got to give you know Hudson. Hudson's been a part of a few interviews. You know we've done uh, we did a bunch together. Jordan and I have been doing uh, a lot during this football season. What is your favorite? interview that you think you ever did here on the Ostrom Avenue podcast? My favorite interview we've ever done. You know, I always like in the springtime when we talk to some of these lacrosse coaches, uh, don't get me wrong. Football and basketball is great. Um, You know, when we talk to, you know, guys like Brent Axe, Mike Waters, Donna Totota, all the, all the Syracuse legends, we'll call them as far as reporting is concerned, but something about springtime when we get to, you know, pick the brains of, of the John Danowski's and the Lars Tiffany's and, you know, fill in My the guy. blank, you know, that's always a lot of fun. Um, Danowski always keeps things very funny and entertaining. Obviously Lars Tiffany is the guy, Ethan, who you can speak volumes about as well. I could. Uh, He's not across quarter Copeland. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I won't settle in on one in particular, but I'll say, you know, the, those lacrosse talks are especially because, you know, with lacrosse, you don't always get to necessarily have someone who is super articulate when it comes to the X's and O's and to be able to talk to the coaches who can, you know, paint those pictures better than any of us can was always something I found to be really interesting. And, and a lot of those lacrosse videos are not like coach speak like they get they get into the no into they'll the tell it like it is yes yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. I, I gotta say our, our picture i made the picture of our group chat a picture of Lars tiffany just to, oh, in honor of his of his great interviews over the years he is a he is a dedicated friend of the program all right guys any any closing thoughts before we wrap things up yeah i'll say syracuse we talked about it just a little bit uh in, somewhere in there but they need to rebound i did you know, I mentioned I did cast this morning. I calculated it. When they win or tie the rebounding margin, they're six and zero. When they lose, they're one and three. And that one win is is Colgate. So they need to win the rebounding margin. That needs to be a point of emphasis. Doesn't have to be just the centers. Justin Taylor obviously leads the team, but they need to collectively rebound because when they rebound, it's a winning formula for them. Yeah, I I don't have anything on the basketball end, but I would be remiss. If we didn't bring up the uh, recent recruiting in football, I just want a little soapbox here. What's happened in the last two weeks after Fran Brown's hire at Syracuse, I I grew up a Northwestern football fan, so I didn't have much to cheer for in my life. But I don't think I've ever been more excited for the future of a football team that I can get behind than this new Syracuse team. If, if Kyle McCord, a potential, I, I think he was definitely a five-star out of college, if they can get him in at quarterback, the world changes. I know this was a basketball podcast, but it was burning deep inside of me. I had to bring it up. 
Well, I'll keep it moving on that same train of thought, building off my last point. Both men's and women's lacrosse schedules dropped this oh, morning. Yes, Jordan Very was good. really Jordan. The, was the really men's excited squad plays the first half of the season at home and the second half oh, of the season me, on the know. road. That is going to be Crazy. a wild couple of months, but it should be a lot of fun. But guys, this was great. Thanks so much for having me on. Great to see you guys doing your thing, and uh, you know, look forward to keeping tabs with it the rest of the year. I appreciate it, Johnny. You know, I will say for the listeners out there, if you made it this far. Uh, and you listen to to us talk with Johnny for the better part of an hour here is, you know, we got, we got some plans to, you know, keep bringing some alumni back on the pod over the next couple of weeks. And you know, the, the holiday giving back spirit gift giving, we want to give our listeners the gift of going down memory lane with, uh, with some of the the pod uh, pod hosts of the past. So uh, Johnny, before we let you go, uh, we, we mentioned the, the show earlier, where, where can people find journey ends podcast? Yeah, so we're on Twitter at F68 underscore Qs. Again, it's a part of the Field of 68 podcast network. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. You can also go to the Field of 68 YouTube, and then from there, they have it categorized with all the different schools where red is the new orange. Uh, whether you prefer to watch it on YouTube, the video content, or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, what have you, we're there as well. So be sure to check it out. A little bit of a shameless plug. We will have an Oregon preview episode dropping at noon on Friday. So be on the lookout for that. Appreciate your time. You can follow all of Johnny's content and all of our content uh, at the original home of the orange. I will be in South Dakota. I'll be there. Have you um, ever been to South Dakota before? I actually, I actually have been to South Dakota before because I've been to Mount Rushmore, which is that on is the, the complete other thing. side. When, when I tell you I was not expecting that answer, I really was not expecting to hear I, you say I yes. Am a, As a I'm matter a, of fact, I have. I am a very, very lucky to be a very well-traveled, uh, well-traveled individual. Uh, but I am excited to go back to South Dakota because I've Are never you guys been to Sioux Falls. Is it right into Sioux Falls, or you got to fly, fly and drive two hours? You fly Chicago or? to Sioux Falls. No, right into Sioux Falls. There you go. Uh, so time. we're excited. Um, Jordan and Hudson, you're traveling that day as well, I believe. I am. I'm heading. Uh, I'm heading back to Denver. I'm well-traveled as well. I have been to South Dakota. I got bed bugs one time in South Dakota. Oh, wow. That is oh really God. my only memory. Except that's bad juju like now a for a mile away from. No, that. I'm not getting bed bugs. I I I booked the hotel. I booked the hotel and it said no bed bugs here. So uh, we're not getting <laughs> I would bed hope. bugs. Always a good we're sign. Not- we're not getting better. Jordan, we'll be holding things down in studio, and uh, we're going to be chatting it up after the game on WAR. So make sure you tune into the double overtime. Our coverage gets going 1230, a, a rare Sunday basketball game with tip off at one, which means you'll hear Jordan and our good friend Austin Barrick on the double overtime all the way until five o'clock. And be sure to tune into Sports Night on Friday as well from eight to nine PM on WAR. Make sure you follow us on social media at Ostrom Avenue Pod and you know our, our parent accounts at WAR Sports and at WAER Sports Talk. Thank you once again to Empire Hearing and Audiology for, for their support of the show. We really, really appreciate it. Johnny, Jordan, Hudson, a pleasure to chat with you all. We'll be back next week previewing Syracuse and the Boca Raton Bowl and whatever else is going on in Central New York. 